10 years ago, it was taboo to use your phone at work. Even if you were a desk worker, you just were expected not to use your phone at work. Now you actually need to keep your phone and there's ways to regulate it, right? There's ways to manage that phone usage so that it can actually benefit an employee and they can get the access they need, save HR a ton of time, save managers a ton of time. AI is much bigger, (laughs) but it's the same thing where if you, to your point, like if you embrace it and if you look at it for the good that it can create and generate, uh, it can make, um, a meaningful impact on people's lives. Welcome to Whisking It All with your host, Angela Spazito, co-founder of Whisk.ai, a food and beverage intelligence platform. We're going to be interviewing hospitality professionals around the world to really understand how they do what they do. Welcome to another episode of Whisking It All. We're here today with Rachel Nemeth, founder and CEO of Opus Training. Rachel, thank you for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Of course. Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, I always like to start off with the most obvious thing, which is just for people who don't know, what is Opus Training? It's not the wine. Um, we have to tell people that I wish we were the, the beautiful $300 a bottle wine, uh, no Opus is a, um, it's a training platform. It's a software that is purpose built for hospitality businesses. What we do is we've designed training technology that fits into the flow of work, uh, which I know we'll talk a little bit more about, but that's to keep it simple. That's what we do. Love it. I love it. Okay. So I always like to understand, number one, what people do, but what got them there or how they got there. So maybe let's kick things off. Can you tell us a bit about your background and kind of what led you to, to, to start Opus Training in the first place? What I always tell people is it's really, like many people in restaurants, a long story for beers, but I'll try to keep it as short as possible. Um, so I worked in restaurants for 13 years and even preceding that, I came from restaurants. Uh, My grandfather owned a barbecue chain in Kansas City in the 60s called Don's World of Beef. It was a competitor with Arby's. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) They got the beef. (laughs) They got the meats, I mean. Um, So they sold roast beef sandwiches and and, um, with Don's special relish. Um, So my, my mom and my aunts and my uncle all worked there. My dad was an English teacher by day and he worked at Steak and Ale by night, uh, bartending. So I I came from this industry and it was never frowned upon. It was always a way of life. It's always a way to make a living. My mom is still Mm. in the food industry, although she switched to dessert. Naturally, I grew up in this industry, but I also grew up, frankly, wanting to get out of this industry like everyone else. Mm. Like it, it's very hard to make a career. It's hard um, to stand on your feet for 16 hours a day, especially during the holidays or what have you. But yeah. I always kind of found my stride in diff- in operations. Um, that was where I really loved uh, to work. You know, I waited tables, I cooked, all that stuff. Really preferred cooking over waiting tables, even if it was half <laughs> the salary. <laughs> I still remember the conversation with the GM at this long gone little Italian restaurant in Charleston, South Carolina called Bocce's. It's like a tourist trap. Um, right. Having the conversation with the GM that I wanted to 
work cold apps in the kitchen for $6 an hour. And she looked at me like I was bonker. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so happy after that. Um, cause I was cooking for people. Um, right. anyway, uh, fast forward to, um, when I moved to New York in 2010, I uh, stayed in the industry really to pay off my college loans and just make a living. And hmm. by night, I got my certification to teach English as a second language. That's what I okay. wanted to do was teach. Um, so stayed in the industry throughout that process to really pay the bills uh, and ended up working for Danny Meyer at Union Square Hospitality Group. Um, and that was really where I began my first company, which was called ESL Works. What we did is we delivered English as a second language training to employee cell phones. For anyone oh, who's wow. listening, you know exactly what this problem is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to explain it to you. 35% of frontline workers don't speak English as their first language. There's big mm. communication gaps in the kitchen. And I knew how to teach English. So we started as a services business. Smart. Uh and it, it very quickly, I guess, over the course of two or three years, it evolved into a technology that delivered that training to cell phones. Um, wow. There's a lot of twists and turns from there that got us to Opus, which we can go into. But like, that's really the origin yeah. story was uh, me trying to get out and then finding a way back in in a really odd way that solved a real yeah, problem. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, it's like, uh, what is it, like the godfather, you know, uh, every time I try to <laughs> get out, they pull me back in. Um, and and it, out of curiosity, I mean, I got a couple of questions that come to mind and we'll get more into it. But one is, uh, what made you go to New York? Like, were you going there specifically for something or, yeah, I'm curious what kind of... I mean, why does anyone come to New York? It, you, I had this, I thought, I don't know, I just knew I needed to be here. I, I was in, I grew up in Kansas city. Um, and I went to school, I went to college at the college of Charleston in South Carolina, um, which is a very small town. And I like many big pivots in my life, instead of inching my way into it, I just dove in head first and took a train up to New York who takes a train anymore anyway. Um, I'm not even aging myself. It wasn't, it was like 12 years ago. It's not like there yeah. weren't flights, but. <laughs> yeah. Back in my day. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think it was just the appeal of a bigger city and, and more people and more diversity. And, uh, but frankly, like it wasn't for the restaurants. It wasn't for the, okay. the work either. It okay. Was, that, that, that's where I was. That's what I was like thinking. That's why I was curious. Was it something to do with uh, the hospitality space? It was really kind of just, Hey, I got this itch. I want to see if like, I, think New York it was the itch. I also, I, I had never heard of Danny Meyer in my entire life. Like I didn't know, I didn't know anything about the industry until maybe like the real industry. Right. Right. Um, right until maybe I was like five or six years into New York and um, Mike Anthony, the executive chef at Gramercy Tavern, who ended up being a mentor to me, was like, you, you really haven't seen the industry until you've worked for Danny Meyer. And you don't really know what the industry can be and what innovation looks like and what risk looks like until you've worked for Danny Meyer. And, uh, wow. and he was right. Um, so... Yeah, I love that you asked that question because I still have no idea what the heck. 
Yeah, so that was intuition, right? You just kind of like take that leap so. of faith. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool, though. And and I love I love how you kind of married your what you were doing in terms of you know work, like right, like you wanted to be a teacher, and then your background, and so that that first kind of version or MVP, which I guess maybe your first you know crack at what you're doing today. Um, what happened with that? I'd love to hear the story behind that. So it started off as you know, like you said, that that training being sent to the cell phone. Um, for people whose primary, you know, language was not English, and so what did that look like? Like you started this thing. How did you go about getting customers? Like I'd love to hear the transition because sometimes, and it's happened to me personally too. It's like sometimes you pivot many times within the same company, but sometimes it's a couple companies, and then you kind of pivot to the newest idea or company where it's like, yeah, if I didn't go through those other two things, I probably wouldn't have landed here. So curious to hear what that journey looked like. Well, that's exactly it is. And I think that's the dirty little secret about entrepreneurship in general is most of us have built two to three to four companies. And sometimes it's under the same name and sometimes it's Mm. not. And sometimes it's under different investors and sometimes it's not, but it's all a process of iterating. It's just like a restaurant too. There's so many different iterations. It's like where you'll see, like this was at my grandpa's restaurant. He ran for many years um, Don's Restaurant and Bar. That was like the first full service. And then he, many, many years later, uh, Don's World of Beef was like the casual dining QSR version. We see this all the time where (laughs) you're like, how'd you get from that to that? Yeah, yeah. but it comes with lots of attempts and failures. So training is very hard. Teaching is very hard. So I, yeah. I literally like chose one of the hardest things to work for. And yeah. then I switched to another really hard thing to do, which, um, God help me. I have no idea why I did that, hmm. but it gave me a unique perspective on how, why I wanted to solve this problem really fast and really well. Cause I was so frustrated. Um, and I think some of the greatest moments of innovation come from pure frustration yeah. and, and fatigue. And so the origin of ESL works was actually a services business. We, I literally, I hired a league of, of, you know, a dozen teachers and I basically like shipped them into New York city restaurants between shifts. That's the only time when wow. you can teach ESL, right? It's it's opening and closing shift coming together, 90 minute classes, all work focused. I, I stored an easel at all these places. And what I was really running was a logistics business. Right. Like, wow. Telling teachers where to go. And so we had like some of the biggest wow. names in New York City, but it was so hard. And I, and, I think it's maybe, man, it's probably like the closest I'll ever get to running a a restaurant. (laughs) So I was like, the margins are terrible. (laughs) (laughs) It's really long hours, open every day. I was like getting up at three to teach a a 5am class at a warehouse in the Bronx. It was wonderful though, because, because we were really learning so much so quickly, but out of that fatigue came this idea and frankly, like demand from our customers who were Mm. saying, you know, even if you're coming at the most convenient times, you're still missing out on 80% of our workforce that's got second jobs and kids right. and commutes. And it's funny, you know how in retrospect, every everything always seems like it was much faster than it was. Yeah. I was thinking about this the other day. You've probably been through this. It actually took me with, with people, with other humans, 
I think like 18 to 24 months to, to prototype, to get the right prototype for ESL to employee cell phones. Um, wow. I think we maybe had 15 different MVPs. Um, and it ended up being one Saturday morning. I was sitting really frustrated, ready to give up. Honestly, it's like one, you know, it's like a fairy tale. Um, yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try one last thing. I made a quick video. I just like recorded something on the computer. I think I was, I taught the alphabet. I think that was the first video. Uh, I didn't care what I taught. I was like, I need to do something. <laughs> I made a, a quiz using Google Forms. And the one thing that I hadn't tried is we had the phone numbers of like 500 employees and we had all these teacher WhatsApp chats with them, these group chats to tell them about class and send them their homework. So I ended up just using the WhatsApp chat to distribute this video and the quiz and 86% of them completed it within like an wow. hour. You know, it was the highest engagement rate I've yeah, ever had. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, that's insane. 86%? That's unheard of. Okay. It was a small test group, but it was all the yeah, validation still... I needed to start sunsetting the services side to figure out the tech side. So, of course, mm. found engineers, et cetera. But you're wow. probably wondering, like, how we got from ESL. Yeah, yeah. Which is still, yeah. there's actually still ESL lessons embedded in the product. It's kind of an active yeah. part, but that's not really the core of what Opus does. We are a multilingual training platform, but what we really do is we deliver micro training to employees. And we couple that with this coaching technology. Um, I know you see this all the time. Managers are some of the hardest people to train to be good trainers. Yeah. They're mostly green, lots of different generations. It's very difficult to get data, lots of tribal knowledge floating around um, that's not being recorded, which is why yeah. you get bad customer reviews and then it's not solved for four months. And a lot of that comes back to managers not responding and not teaching their teams. But I don't blame them. Like, they're busy as hell. <laughs> like, you know. So yeah. um, how we got from this tiny little, like, niche product to this, this beautiful training platform was COVID. Oh, um, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure you saw this at WISC, too. Like, we, we really saw that. The industry was suffering. We thought the industry was dead at that point. Um, so March 2020, I emailed all of our customers. I said, listen, we're going to stop invoicing you. Let us know how we can help. Um, and at that point, I was like, well, <laughs> had a good run. <laughs> I tried, yeah. <laughs> had a really good run. Anyway, what ended up <laughs> happening is I started to get emails from customers who said, listen, like we're up and running. We're off premise, but... We're, we have people here and they don't know how to wear a mask mm. or wash their hands. They don't know how to handle food properly. Mm. And we need to f figure out a way to teach them really fast because my training director is working remotely right now or we had to let her go because we had a riff. And so they needed technology. Um, very quickly, we pivoted to, a, to use the same technology to deliver free COVID safety training to any business in America that wanted it. And at that point, I was like, well, 
if we're going to go down, let's just go down in flames and do this with helping as many people as we can, you know? And, and I, that was the genuine reaction at that point. The, The one thing that everyone craved during COVID, if you were fortunate enough to be safe in your apartment or your house, um, was something to do. And, yep. and I was like, well, this is something to do and, and I can help people. But it, it, it very quickly, we grew from zero to 20,000 users in a week. Wow. And that was all the validation I needed to know that what we had built was really special and could do a lot more than just teach English. It could actually solve these business problems of, of accessibility. So that, that was it. The rest That's is, amazing. is history and so easy and, and perfect and <laughs> <laughs> no but it's ama- it's amazing because it, it's it's funny that and you kind of alluded to it but sometimes it's like if you really focus on giving value which is hard when you don't have your back against the wall but you know having your back against the wall and being like you know what f it like if i'm going like you said i'm going down i'm going down and really giving free value it's interesting how sometimes that's that's what you need and you know, just saying of like, how do you make your free shit better than someone's page? Shit? And, you know, like to, to, to get to get good, good lead leads in the door and, and earn that trust. And it's funny because, you know, you whether on purpose or not on purpose, but, you know, by just kind of going in good faith and being like, you know what, let me help people. You probably gained a lot of trust, learned a lot, built a lot of users, validated, a new, you know, the, the, the version 5.0 of the business. I'm sure there was many iterations. Um, so that's super interesting. And I love I love the year. So like from that point on. Um, you're now like, okay, 20,000 users, people are watching this COVID training. What's next? Was that when you're like, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Like what, like what, how do I, like, were you thinking like, how do I, how do I monetize this now? How do I, no, you know, I mean, you, sure. need, you need engineers? Yeah, need, yeah. We're definitely trying to figure out how to monetize it. What made sense? Um, I think the next big problem to solve was, believe it or not, it was accessibility. We were getting people in fast, but uh, we weren't satisfied. We were, it wasn't fast enough. Um, there were mm. so many barriers to entry, especially for technology for frontline workers. And it's it's a really important thing, especially if you just look at the software space. Everything requires an email. Everything requ- is English only. Everything mm. is mobile responsive and not native mobile or it's desktop only. And then like like the web responsive on, on mobile is, is terrible. And so we spent six months perfecting the sign in experience. And I'm not going to say that it's like some big trade secret, like literally anybody could go to the website and like sign in and figure out (laughs) and see it. But I'm saying that because we like, we nitpicked the flow and it's one of the first things that people get all sparkly eyed about Opus is we never ask for an employee email. We ask for their phone number, which is actually mm. better and more accurate for frontline employees. They're changing their phones all the time. So we handle that as well. And the sign in experience, the first thing we ask you is not what's your name. It's what language do you speak? So the whole mm. UI changes to, you know, Arabic or French or Spanish or what have you, a hundred global languages. Wow. And you feel welcome before you even start. That's cool. And so that was really like the the thing that set us apart so quickly was this emphasis, honestly, on the training, the trainee experience. Mm. Uh, historically, 
what what a lot of software companies do, especially if they're building any sort of frontline training solution, scheduling, whatever, they focus yeah. on the admin first. And we knew that there were 17, well, I've heard 1,200, I've heard 1,700 learning. There's a ton. It's a super fragmented yeah. learning market. Um, right. But only about 30% of businesses are actually using these platforms because they don't work for restaurants. And so my point in saying all of that is you can't solve the same problem by doing the same thing 1,700 companies have done before you. <laughs> and so you have to take a step forward and just say, we might fail again at this. Everyone might hate it, but we've got to do what we know works for the end user. Mm. Um, and it worked in our favor. After that, it was all about content. Uh, we lovingly call it the content problem <laughs> at Opus. <laughs> uh, uh, but that first piece was just getting you into the system. Wow. And at that time, you know, you alluded to it, there's a lot of different learning systems. What was the main reason from your point of view that like, you know, I know some of it's just user experience, but what what was the main reason that maybe restaurants weren't adapting these other systems and, you know, like yours worked? And I, and I guess a big piece was maybe the sign in process. But what else would you say kind of? Yeah, you know, contributed to that? Well, when we talk about how Opus fits into the flow of work. Yeah. It's designed to be a training companion to your workday. Um, one thing that we never promise restaurants is that we're going to digitize 100% of your training, which is a mm. lot of what you saw in the early aughts. It, it, yes, it was that's like, exactly what, can, let's what I was thinking. Let's get your whole thing. Yeah, get it yeah, in. All your <laughs> SOPs in here. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's fine, Danny. But like uh, Google Drive can do that. I don't care about that. So it was right. really about creating an interactive experience that was in any language that an employee preferred, hmm. but coupled it with the stuff that was already happening on the job. No one will ever get rid of in-person training. You shouldn't because that's the good stuff. Yeah. Managers sitting next to somebody and saying, listen, you're chopping that onion the wrong way. It's not how we do it. Here's how you do it. Can't teach that with a video and a quiz. You just can't. Right. And I don't, I will, right. will go to the, <laughs> you did a Godfather, I'll like go to the mattresses <laughs> or whatever. <they> <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, that doesn't lead to knowledge retention. Fair. Yeah. And so sure you can get a quick completion checkbox, but how do I make sure that you have coached me properly and that there's a record of that. Mm -hmm. Well, it's already happening. So what we're doing to solve this problem is capturing all that data while simultaneously getting that manager a tool that says, you know, a lot of these guys are like 18 years old to say, listen, like, you know how we do this, but you got to make sure that those five people know how to do it. How do you greet mm -hmm. guests? And so we give them a really beautiful interface that's just for managers and just on mobile for them. We're not going to ask the manager to go to the office that gives them guidelines that says, listen, like here's the five things this person needs to know in order to actually be certified in this skill, rate them one to 10 or take a photo or what have you. Yeah. And that's led to really incredible success. The reason why restaurants to answer your question, the reason why restaurants aren't choosing these systems is because it's, it actually is compared to the legacy systems. It actually is easier 
to train on paper and just <laughs> rely on tribal <laughs> knowledge because it's very expensive to get all of that training into a platform. Mm. So that was like the second piece that really, I was alluding to this earlier. Yeah. There's nothing harder than creating a training module. It is so hard. It's so taxing. And no one in the industry is, is like, you know, uh, a, an instructional designer by trade. Most of the time they were former operators and someone was like, you're really good at teaching people. Right. You should do this. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, yeah. they're the best ones for the job. Like that was me yeah. too. So we have invested heavily in AI in order to help businesses create training either from existing materials and convert them right. into micro training or create it from public domain. Um, so they can build custom content 500 times faster than traditional solutions and get it out to market at the speed of their operation rather wow. than what we hear a lot, which is we have an LTO coming up. We got to plan six months in advance because Judy Schmoody has to create the training and do all the classroom stuff or, you know, we have to let 15 people audit it. It, it can just be solved in minutes now. That's awesome. That's super interesting, and, and like I like I love the idea, obviously, of the, of the multilingual aspect. Like, how? I mean, I guess <laughs> the first question that comes to mind is how do you manage that? Like, how do you how did you manage to offer a hundred and one uh, languages? You know, and and are you are, these days are you leveraging AI to kind of do that? Because I'm thinking about tools I've seen more on the marketing side and stuff, or sales yeah, side, of like being able to maybe do some video and then it can transcribe it or, or audio it in different languages and it's not perfect yet but with any technology it usually grows pretty exponential so it's probably not far off from being perfect like maybe maybe a couple months maybe a year like it's probably not a crazy far-fetched idea but i'd love to hear from your side like what does that look like right like especially in places i live in miami so like obviously spanish is big here uh english and spanish but you know when you when you're in places or new york which is super multicultural you get a bit of everything maybe even spanish english french who knows but um how, yeah, how do you go about managing that? Because that's building a tech company is complex enough. Then building a tech company in the restaurant space, aka me, is hard <laughs> enough. And then I think you take it a level above. I think we're in like three or four languages, but you're, you're adding 101 languages. So I'd love to hear a bit about like the strategy and thought behind that and how you manage it. Well, remember, we came into this with the language experience already. So right, for we already the, had the sign up. competitive advantage and we had this perspective that's where we said like there's no question this has to be the thing has that we invest be. in um it's it's ingrained in our mission and our vision um you know our mission is to create a world where every frontline worker has a good job you can't mm. have a good job if you don't understand the thing on the paper that makes you feel welcome mm. and people say you know people are leaving managers not jobs that's true too. Your manager doesn't speak your first language. You need some companion to help you with those interactions. So to your point, we, we automatically translate every interaction in Opus into a hundred global languages. Wow. Um, yes, we're leveraging AI for that. On top of that, any video 
training that you choose to do, which by the way, training doesn't have to be videos for anyone out there. There's plenty of good right. that doesn't have videos, but we do the videos too. Right. Uh, auto captions and auto subtitles for you. On top of that, we're supporting text-to-speech. So the level of accessibility that you can achieve grows, to your point, exponentially when you just multiply the languages from there. Mm. We, we tell restaurants this all the time, but I don't blame them for not having solved it because it's very expensive. If you have 250 employees and 249 of them speak English and one speaks Mandarin, you're not compliant. And you're not inclusive. And, but I don't blame restaurants for not translating the right. employee handbook into, to, to simplify Chinese. So how do we as Opus take on that burden and help you solve that problem? Mm. It's with technology. Um, the second piece to that, that's really important. You were talking about like AI, it's getting better. I agree. It's getting yeah. better, but this is where the language nerd in me <laughs> <laughs> it's going to come out. Um, translations are only as good as your inputs. Mm. So I'm going to put it as unromantically as, as possible. If your English sucks, if you're not good at writing, then your translations are going to suck. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. If you're bad at grammar, if you're using tons of idioms, which a ton of restaurants do, yeah, that translator will not pick it up for you. And so... My advice to anyone, if you're using any translation tools, is be thinking about like the most simple, straightforward English that you can use and your translations most of the time will get you better than what a human could do. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. That's, it's a good point because, yeah, I think we all speak in in idioms and we all use kind of, you know, all kinds of expressions. And um, but when you think about it, yeah, it's not easy from a translation point of view because we're always using, you know, and especially like across cultures, it's tough. Like, you know, I'm thinking of like other languages too. I, I grew up in Montreal actually, so I speak French too. And I actually, I speak Spanish too. And then, so like, I just think about some things that if you translate word for word, make no sense at all. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking of a funny one now that comes to mind, but it's like, at least I think in, in most of like South America, but at least I could say for sure in Colombia, because that's where I've heard it. And uh, and my wife's Colombian, but um, don't basically the translation is like, don't give them papaya, which basically <laughs> means like, don't show off so you don't get robbed, like, don't wear a Rolex or whatever, like in public, <laughs> you know. But it's like, I'm thinking of translations like that that would be so hard to capture. Um, well, there, there's even simpler ones that are so subtle, like, take it away, right? Hey, get started, you know, hey, Rachel, we're recording the podcast, take it away. Yeah. It's and, so true. And I, I think we, um, if, if it would be such an interesting exercise, if, if there was some cool technology, we will never do this, but like if they could record someone all day and then they pick out every idiom. <laughs> that, yeah. No. And there's a lot. Yeah. There's so many and it's such yeah. a core part of English. So I'm not, yeah. you know, negating that it's a part, it's a core part of many languages, not all, yeah. but many. Yeah. It's about though, developing some awareness around um, that you actually know what parts of your English are confusing or when you're speaking too quickly. And it, there are very simple ways we actually developed. So most of the content that people are doing, they're creating themselves with the AI builder. Okay. But we do have off the shelf stuff and we have this module called cross-cultural communication 
I preached this all the time at ESL Works. I was like, you do not have to learn Spanish in order to communicate thoughtfully with your team. You can mm. speak slower. You can use better body language. You can mm. understand what other cultures are expecting of body mm. language. And you can slow down and simplify your English. Interesting. And people will, people will pick it up. It's not going to be yeah. perfect, but like they'll, you'll get the point yeah. across. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's, that's an interesting way of putting it. And it's funny because I think I think about like the the um, challenge. The, the, sorry, not the challenges. The the number of times I was just as you're talking about like idioms. I'm thinking about like our regular kind of internal meetings, even at Whisk, like the classic like yeah, we'll put that on ice, and yeah, well, like the, the classic <laughs> things people say on these online meetings. And I'm like, there's that that'd be a funny exercise. But I, I swear, if I would listen back to all my meetings. I could probably pick out like 20 a day easily of just kind of like, totally. yeah, we'll put that on the back burner, you know, just <laughs> like whatever it may be, but there's so many of these things anyways. Um, but yeah, so I'd love to hear. So, so going back to, to Opus, like, so obviously you guys now have this niche, you're, you're very focused on the frontline uh, worker, which makes sense. You're a, a real focus on the actual experience on the multi uh, lingual approach. So at this point, like what, type of let's say restaurant is really up your alley because on one hand i'm imagining groups because you have that like you know uh economies of scale of like training and maybe but like i'd love to hear from you what where did you guys start finding success and who's your like typical client these days um i mean we opus is really designed to solve this business problem of of how can i achieve scale with training and training is right. expensive so how do i either save money or make money. Um, right. So I either need to cut back the training labor, which can sometimes be, you know, depending on how intense your operation is, it's at least two shifts for a QSR. We've seen up to four weeks for full service restaurants. Wow. And so how can you shave back that time, give admins their time back too, so that they can start to be more strategic. Mm. And so it's about, shaving down that cost and then actually positioning the training in a way that you can start making more money. So what I mean by that is we were talking about like guest complaints and things earlier, yeah. um, things that like can potentially disrupt your operation. If I get a bad Yelp review, I should be able to, to turn that into training very quickly so that I can get those customers back and start to increase sales. So, um, a lot of what we're trying to solve for are those um, pieces, which means that the, the best customers we have and, and the best fit for us is a business that is maybe small right now. Um, we call these like um, emerging brands. So maybe, mm. you know, it's like Kevin Hart's Heart House. We started with them when they had like one location, but they have plans to grow to 25 in the next couple of years. So they have mm. to be investing now. Um, big chicken, lots of chicken brands. Um, <laughs> but, but those are great examples. We also really love working with um, really established brands that maybe have been on paper for the last 20, 30, 80 years mm. and need to stay competitive in the market, whether it's the labor market or not. Um, it's hard to keep up these days. The market itself is changing. Consumer behavior is changing. Investor behavior is changing. Franchisee behavior is changing. And um, paper and versioning becomes very expensive. Right. That's that's interesting. And, and like, 
when when you guys think of like onboarding a customer, you know, for our listeners, restaurateurs, owners, you name it, managers, you know, probably this is going through their head. Maybe they've tried something, maybe not. Maybe it's on paper. What does the actual, let's say, experience look like of, okay, I'm interested. Opus training has caught my attention. I guess for a quick plug, you know, where do they go? And what does the process look like from, you know, discovery? They're interested. They land on your website. Maybe just walk them through the, the typical maybe customer journey. Most people are going to hear about us through this, through content. Uh, we we are we like to educate. We like to teach. We like to be out there in the world, generating ideas and thinking through what's next in the world. So you'll hear about us a lot. Um, but it's really simple to get started with Opus. Um, I'll position it this way. Like, there's a lot of things that frustrated me with the status quo when I was working in restaurants. And one of them was also that I had to like, if I was ever signing a contract, I had to spend months sometimes negotiating this thing for, you know, 300 people or users. With Opus, you can get started really small. You can grow from there. Most people want to get started with one or two locations. That's totally mm. fine. And you can sort of evolve from there if you want to, especially if you're a little nervous about making that switch. We can help you out with that. The journey is quite quick though to get from I am excited to to like bring my training to life and have it fit to flow to work. Um you can get a couple of training topics built within a matter of hours. You can collaborate with colleagues immediately if you want to to get some feedback. They can give you do it asynchronously to do um course reviews and give you some feedback that way. They can also just get in the content builder with you and build live, much like you would a nice. Google Doc. Um, so we've seen smaller businesses get up and running in a matter of two days, their whole front line, it's reached them. Um, but some people like to take it slow. So they might say, you know, I'm, I'm just going to focus on just my guest facing employees to start. And then we'll do back of house next. The third way yeah. that we see people start, this is actually interesting. It's much more common these days, uh, compliance training. Um, it's a oh, big focus for restaurants these days with Fair Work Week and joint employer and all of these laws on top of sexual harassment prevention and food handlers. Wow. So we have a whole arm of the business where you don't even have to create content. We can just help keep you compliant on all the state laws. That's interesting. Same day. Like we, we've seen businesses that unfortunately, you know, something happened. There was a claim and they did train their team, but they trained their team maybe with a platform that didn't resonate. So they were, they had a couple of people that didn't do it. You know, the, the finest example is the anti-harassment training with like the man and the woman in the office. <laughs> and, and like what restaurant employee is ever going to resonate? <laughs> with that? Um, so uh, so that's kind of the, th those are the, like the three ways that someone can get up, get up and running is just like choosing a plan that's nice and simple for them and, and their, their, um, finances, choosing something that maybe starts with a segment of your workforce, if you'd like to, or maybe a couple of locations or, um, starting with like the compliance only. And, and I guess for people that, you know, they're listening just a quick plug. So it's, it's opus.so, right? <laughs> It's, it's opus.so. 
Perfect. Cool. So for those listening, opus.so, and I noticed you even have a free trial. So yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I was assuming it was a demo. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. No, because in my head I was thinking maybe a demo or something, but it sounds like it's pretty easy. So, and then, and, and it sounds like you guys have a good user experience. So yeah, for those listening, if this piques your curiosity, if it's a problem that you've been facing, a pain point you're facing, just literally opus.so, sign up for the free trial and, and try it out. Um, but super interesting. And then on your side, just to get, you know, into like, you know, from idea to serious pain point you want to solve. I love to see how it pivoted from that first kind of version to where it is today. What's kind of next for you? Like, and I say next, maybe like what's obviously just growth and getting more customers and every, every entrepreneur wants that. But outside of just, you know, growing and getting more brands, like what, what type of things do you see next for Opus? It's a long road to completely change the world of work. Um, there's a lot, it's very broken from, and it's not just as simple as, you know, pay. Um, I've been on the employer side too. That's hard and it's hard to, to, to afford it. So we have a long journey ahead of us, but we fundamentally believe that training is the golden thread through all of it Mm. that can really solve some, some big problems with frontline work and namely the restaurant industry. So, you know, in the immediate future, we're very excited and committed. I, you know, obviously I'm biased, but like to, to the restaurant and hospitality industry. So we're here and, and there's a lot of work to do. We're also very committed to training. Um, we've only just begun to be honest. Um, and so it's important to us that, and me as a business owner, like we keep our team laser focused on that training problem to solve. And we plan to be there for a while. So as far as like the innovation side is concerned, we're continuing to invest heavily in AI. I know you're probably hearing this from everyone right now, but um, it makes sense. We did years ago when it started, we started with translation technology. We did a year ago when um, LLM started becoming more publicly available and they're getting better and better and better so much faster than you would ever expect. And in really good ways. I was ch- talking to Kristen Hawley about this at Expedite. Yeah. Like better on not too long ago. Yeah. And, and, and she was like, you know, everyone's so pessimistic about AI and you're so optimistic. Why are you so optimistic about yeah. AI? And listen, like there are a lot of, of regulatory conversations happening right now and and we'll see where those lead. But if you use AI intentionally and if you use it to solve the right problems, it can really help businesses and their teams um, significantly. And so you can expect a lot of of really cool stuff uh, the next year um, centered on that technology. That's awesome. And I'm with you there. Like honestly, the way I see it when it comes to AI is like, Unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, but I don't have enough power to stop AI. That's <laughs> so like either I'm going to, you know, see how I can use it for good or you can just lock yourself in a room and be fearful. But like being fearful won't change anything. So like for me, it's it's just a matter of like, hey, it's possible. There are a lot of serious potential negative outcomes, but like I can't really do anything. So might as well look at the positive outcomes. How can I help in my personal life, in my business life? How can I make my employees lives easier? How can they leverage tech to maybe focus on more creative tech. Like how can we help our restaurateur clients? So I'm with you there. It's like, 
I'm optimistic about it too because it's like the alternative is what just waiting and locking yourself not using it yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's it's a little apples and oranges but I'll try to 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 like thread the needle on this it's kind of like um 10 years ago it was taboo to use your phone at work Mm. even if you were a desk worker you just were expected not to use your phone at work Mm. um and we saw this seismic shift in culture, especially in restaurants, that now you you actually need to keep your phone. And there's ways to regulate it, right? There's ways to manage that phone usage so that it can actually benefit an employee and they can get the access they need, save HR a ton of time, save managers a ton of time. And I and I AI is much bigger. Yeah. <laughs> But it's the same thing where if you, to your point, like if you embrace it and if you look at it for the good that it can create and generate, uh, it can make um, a meaningful impact on people's lives. Yeah. I love that. Well said. Any, any, this is great, by the way. So again, for those just kind of tuning or listening or need a reminder, Opus training platform, opus.so. They got a free trial. It sounds like a no-brainer. Try it out. It works for you. 101 languages. Um, but for, for for you know, to just kind of wrap up this episode, I'd love to leave you with or, or ask you any kind of um, last words, anything you want to share when it comes to uh, the restaurant industry or maybe to folks listening that are thinking about a training tool or maybe using an alternate training tool or are still on pen and paper. Any, anything you want to share? If you are training your team, then you're doing something right mm. <laughs> they're, they're, So like the, just taking the step to be intentional about training in whatever capacity, whether you choose to use a platform or not is the right move. It means that you're investing in your people. Everyone has kind of has their own time in their business and when, when they're ready to scale and they're ready to take that leap mm. into a training platform and it can be really scary. But if you're already doing it, it's really just about enhancement, not replacement. And I think that's the important message here is it's kind of like the big um, step from cash registers to POS. Mm. Um, and, you know, I was in the age of like squirrel. I didn't even know what what toast was when I was a server. I wasn't right. around um, and, and like paper receipts. Um, <clears throat> POS didn't seek to like completely replace these systems, it, it was there to help enhance those systems. And I think that's the best way to think about a training platform. It's just the next evolution of what's already naturally happening at work. I love it. Well, you heard it here first. Rachel Nemeth, founder of Opus.so, Opus Training. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, sharing your journey. And it was a pleasure to have you on the Whisking It All podcast. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Awesome. Feel free to check out wist.ai for more resources and schedule a demo with one of our product specialists to see if it's a fit for you. Mm-hmm.